myself every single day last year, wrote it all down on a piece of paper. I tweeted out a picture of it. Somebody said it looks like the scribblings of a, of a serial killer. Well, yeah. <laughs> I ended the year, the last day I weighed myself of the year, 2018, was the heaviest I was the entire year. <laughs> I'm not laughing. I'm, hmm. We didn't know what your goal was. Were you trying to... Were you gaining weight? Yeah, move up a weight class. <laughs> so do I win or what? But anyway. Wow. Wow. That's not what generally people are looking for. <laughs> if they're monitoring their... Oh, breaking news. We have breaking news. The news breaks the donkey braze on the Armstrong and Getty show. Breaking Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi will team up yes. to give the Democratic response to the president's speech tonight, 9 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Pacific, Is that... 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain, <laughs> 10 p.m. Atlantic. Four o'clock Which is in Maine and Newfoundland. I four think. o'clock in Puerto Rico. Right. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> when there's a State of the Union address, like they get this, they get the the transcript of the speech like that morning and mm-hmm. prepare the response all day long. Does anybody know what Trump's going to say? Do not know. Sir. Are they going to have to do it on the fly? The response. I, I have a feeling everybody's position is reasonably well known. Not if he declares it a national emergency. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they have a variety of. Here's the way I'd do it. If I were prepping Nancy Pelosi. Oh boy! I almost I made would a really speak loudly and slowly. Really made almost made an unfortunate joke there that would have led to a meeting. Um, really? If I were if I were prepping Nancy and Chuck, I would have a bunch of different um, uh, uh, paragraphs ready to go, depending on what was said, and then just cobble them together real quick and zoom. Anyway. Tucker Carlson, uh, while we were on vacation, issued one of his monologues on a show that's gotten an amazing amount of attention. Uh, oh, I should mention we are going to speak to uh, Andrew Arthur, who we've talked to before from the Center for Immigration Studies, about what the president might well say and, and their opinion of it at that fine organization. So they, that's they coming a, up in moments. Yeah, they have a strong opinion on what will work because that's their whole thing. Um, uh, unfortunately, we just booked that, so I've really, really got to compress what I thought was going to be a longer discussion. But Tucker Carlson was talking about... And this has gotten a tremendous amount of attention in your conservative think tanky, writerly, opiniony uh, circles. <clears throat> you know, everybody from J.D. Vance, who wrote uh, Hillbilly Elegy, who I love, uh, to uh, Jonah Goldberg, to, to just all the whole slate of conservative writers talking about that. Uh, Tucker opened by uh, talking about Mitt Romney and his editorial and <clears throat> Weasel. And, all right. The Weasel Mitt Romney. Oh, boy. Um, and he talked about tor- corporate tax p- cuts and business and, and Romney's career at Bain Capital and the way Bain Capital operated, take over an existing company for a short period of time, cut costs by firing employees, run up the debt, extract the wealth and move on, sometimes leaving retirees without pensions. Um, and Romney became very rich doing this. There is a lot of truth to that description. I've seen it in action. Um and then, so the long and short of his screed is that the free market economy where anything goes is not making people happier. It's not serving conservatism. It's making things worse. And we have to come to terms with times when we have to rein in the economy and how to do that. Which has led to a really, really interesting discussion among various branches of conservatism about how you end up with a happy society. 
And again, we don't really have time to get very deeply into this. A lot of different opinions are weighing in. And a lot of people are pointing out what I often point out, that often people will point and sneer and say, oh, great, that's the free market at work. No, that's the opposite of the free market. That's crony capitalism, where government joins with the moneyed class to permit what the moneyed class wants from it. You get a, Here's a great example. You got an industry with lots of regulations which necessitates compliance officers and accountants and scientists or whatever. Who can afford that? Giant corporations. Giant corporations like regulations because it snuffs out small businesses. That's an example of not free markets, not free enterprise. It's crony capitalism. On the other hand, the free market does do some stuff that can be very, very painful because that's just the way it works. Right. Sometimes necessarily. And it has to work. Right. Um, uh, Alan Greenspan's got a book out about that right now. That, yeah. you know, just that's just the way it works. Some industries have to go away when their time has passed, right. and all those people are going to be out of work and have to find something else to do and learn a new skill. And, and that, that is, really sucks. It does suck on a personal level. Sometimes a, an entire city. Um, it's really rough. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and I have a great deal of sympathy for that. You're a car city, a coal city, something that goes away. That sucks. But how about, you know, uh, pharmaceutical companies flooding the country with um, opioids that kill tens of thousands, kill people in numbers that dwarf car wrecks or accidental deaths or whatever? Um, is that okay? Or, or clown attacks. Clown attacks at the edge of the woods. Killer clowns. Um, to what extent is that okay? And again, I, I apologize for rushing through this, but... It ends up, how much control is appropriate control, and how do we have a a society that ensures people's right to life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness? And I think a lot of the discussion, people are talking past each other, um, and or putting it in such complex you know, intellectual terms that it's difficult to grasp. I think the long and short of it is a free market works in a moral society. A free market Mm. works where there is near universal agreement on certain moral principles. We know when it's too much if we share a common culture and mostly common set of values. You're sounding like Edmund Burke over there. A little bit, yeah. It's classic conservatism. I will tell you this. There are absolutely uh, victims of quote-unquote almost universally uh, shared value systems that I'm not comfortable with. Um, people, the outliers in society, you know, the, whether it's, you know, you, the, the way you swing sexually or, or you're, you know, a freak or you like to smoke pot or whatever. Um, you know, I, I like iconoclasts and rebels and that sort of thing. I, I admire them. Um, and I think there's a sweet spot you hit as a society where you uh, agree on moral values, but you let people swing their own way. Um, and I think we've probably gone way too far in the we have no shared principles at this are very few increasingly few and so we don't know when to step in and say yeah that's the free market but you're crushing people for immoral reasons and we won't have it just very quickly george washington morality or virtue is a necessary spring of popular government there is no truth more thoroughly established than that there exists an indissoluble union between virtue and happiness. Indissoluble. Yeah, Human what? rights can only be assured among a virtuous people. George went on and on about this. Ben Franklin, only a virtuous people are, are capable of freedom. As nations become more corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. 
Benjamin Franklin, laws without morals are in vain. We're becoming much less moral society. And, uh, you know, those who write uh, persuasive books about how to fix it sell a bunch of copies, and, and I'm not sure how much they get done, but I think that's the root of the problem. Well, give me that old-time religion. Um, uh, that, that could explain the, the laws thing, why everybody's suing everybody and you got to have so many laws. Right. Because that, that is what steps in to fill the void. Right. Legalism as opposed to morality. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more for you. Um, Thomas Jefferson, as a nation, uh, as a society forms a moral person, and every member of it is personally responsible for his society. The idea of shared responsibility in it together, duty, sacrifice, etc., incredibly unfashionable right now. But according to each and every one of the founding papas, those things are indispensable to the success of a free people. Different from indissoluble. Exactly. We should talk more about that today and for the rest of our lives. Will do. That woman that got sworn in the other day, Muslim woman, congressman who dropped the MF bomb. Yes. Which I have no problem with, by the way. Uh, I have Um, a lot of problems with her. Okay. Well, with her. Yes. Um, She got sworn in with her hand on Thomas Jefferson's Koran, which I thought was interesting. That was a good move. Trying to tie it in. Yeah. Make it seem a little old timey. Yeah, right. Thomas Mm. Jefferson had a Koran. Yeah, he did. Sure. I got all sorts of books. I don't believe everything in them. Um, Willa Wall work. The president's going to be talking about that a lot tonight. We're going to talk to somebody from the Center for Immigration Studies, what their view on it is. They've been spending years and years and years trying to deal with illegal immigration. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We have a text line, 415-295-KFTC. We got this text. Didn't Trump get sworn in on Hitler's Bible? That's what I heard on CNN. Oh, boy. Or MSNBC. Oh, boy. Hilarious. Hilarious mocking of CNN and MSNBC. And, oh, and you sent that to me, Sean. So Stephen Colbert just tweeted out, speaking of Donald Trump and the fact that he is... Sure, this will be helpful. And the fact that he's going to speak tonight... My network will be carrying Trump's wall speech live. So at 9 p.m. Tuesday, tune into CBS to see BS. So is that Stephen Colbert criticizing CBS for taking the speech? Yes. That's something. Biting a hand that feeds him. Well, not only that, as a career move, just uh, I think I think on a, the government shut down over the issue and the president's going to speak from the Oval Office, you got to take the speech. I would agree. And then we'll all discuss it. Afterwards, Here at the Armstrong and Getty Show, we are interested in chasing down the truth and trying to understand how things actually work and what policies will actually help the United States. And to that end, we've invited Andrew Arthur, resident fellow in law and policy at the Center for Immigration Studies, Washington, D.C.-based research institute that looks at immigration to join us. Art, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, and thank you guys for having me today. Oh, it's it's always a pleasure to talk. Glad you could come back. Hey, listen, let's just ask the question before the American people. Is there an appropriate, useful role for a physical barrier in border control? Absolutely. Uh, and I can say that dispositively. I, I know you guys know this, but I'm a 
former INS trial attorney. I was uh, formerly head of the National Security Law Division at the INS, and I had oversight uh, when I was with Congress over immigration issues. So I know a little bit about the subject. When we're talking about uh, border barriers along the border, uh, and Byron York actually noted this uh, in a tweet yesterday, the president has said numerous times uh, that he doesn't need a 2,000-mile wall, or actually 1,954-mile wall, but we need about 1,000 miles of barrier uh, along the border where we can actually stop illegal traffic that's otherwise going through. Uh, when we talk about that illegal traffic, it actually has three parts. Uh, smugglers who are smuggling aliens who enter illegally, smugglers who are smuggling drugs, and smugglers who are smuggling other contraband into the United States. Right now we have about 18,600 Border Patrol uh, agents. The president wants an additional 750. That sort of gets lost in the whole uh, wall discussion, but that's part of uh, what he is, he's asking for as well. So, you know, they work... 40, 50, 60-hour weeks, but you can do the math and figure out how 1,860 officers, uh, you know, on a regular shift get deployed along a 1,954-mile border, and that'll tell you there just aren't enough uh, agents to go around. Well, it's roughly one a mile, which wouldn't sound like enough, would it? Yeah, it's, we, we, yeah well, I mean, it's going to be a little bit more than one a mile, but yeah, it's just not going to be enough. What a wall does is it doesn't actually stop anybody who is bound to determine to get over that border from getting over the border. And this is an important point. But what it does do is it impedes the movement of those individuals over uh, that border, whether they're carrying aliens, whether they're carrying mothers and children, whether they're carrying heroin, fentanyl, methamphetamine, marijuana, whatever, weapons of mass destruction, whatever you want to think about that could possibly move along an open border. Uh, if you slow them down, that actually is a force multiplier for the Border Patrol because that allows Border Patrol – everybody – you know, the Democrats keep talking about technology. We need more technology. Technology without the ability to deploy agents where you need them at a given time along a border that huge uh, is worthless. Uh, well, let's we can... uh, let's go. I don't want to engage entirely on uh, responding to the popular argument right now in the media because it's so idiotic. Uh, but there is nobody arguing that a wall alone will solve our problems. What would the Center, Center for Immigration Studies like to see most in addition to a physical barrier where it's appropriate? Well, the most important thing uh, that we need to have happen, and the president has called for this, and I don't really see... Uh, Chairman Jerry Nadler of New York, the chairman of the uh, House Judiciary Committee, uh, moving on this, but is a legal fix to the loopholes that encourage people to bring their children on this arduous journey to the United States. Uh, right now, we have a catch-and-release uh, program, in effect, because of those laws. The Flores Settlement Agreement says that DHS can only hold minors, whether they come with their parents or without their parents, for 20 days. If we don't have uh, a change to that law, then parents are going to have a reason to bring their kids because we don't separate families. So those parents know that if they show up with their kid, they are going to get released within 20 days. And if your purpose in coming to the United States illegally is to live and work here illegally, which is what 99% of them want to do, um, quite frankly, that law just enables okay. that to happen. Well, you just said 99% of them want to come here and live and work. I don't understand why we don't just really crack down on the employer's you can't get a job if you're an illegal, and then there's just not much advantage to come here. That doesn't help with the people that are just here to smuggle drugs or whatever, but that would be a lot of people, wouldn't it? 
critical point. And I, I am I am I hate illegal immigration, but I just I just want to go about whatever is the cheapest, most effective way to stop it. Well, the cheapest, most effective way to stop illegal immigration, period, is to make E-Verify mandatory. Back in 1986, when we made the hiring of illegal aliens illegal, which it wasn't until that point, um, we you know, instituted an employer sanctions program, but we didn't have the computer technology that we have today. So employers do that to this day 30-some years later by filling out a paper form and sticking it in a, in a drawer. E-Verify is a computer-based system that we know works because it's used by many employers in the United States, mandatory in a a number of states uh, for employers, uh, by which they can, in almost real time, verify the employment eligibility of any individual who is seeking a job. Okay, so that would work. Why why are we not hearing more about that instead of the wall? Um, From either side. We're not hearing more about that. Well, you're actually hearing about it from me because I wrote a column uh, last week that said that the president has the authority to do that via executive order by himself. But so why don't Chuck and Nancy come on after the president tonight and say, we want E-Verify? Because they don't. If you want a politically correct answer, I could give you one. But if you want the political answer, it's because they actually see advantages to having a flow of individuals of enter the United States of illegally course. because they view them as future voters. Of Art course. Arthur is a resident fellow in law and policy at the Center for Immigration Studies. We have barely a minute left, Art. Uh, what do you think the president is going to say tonight? I think that the president is going to talk about the humanitarian crisis that we're seeing at the border. You know, we saw, I think, 30,000 all told plus uh family units, that's parents with children and unaccompanied alien minors, many of whom are 17 and barely minors, but uh, enter the United States last month, when you talk about a flow of individuals like that coming through Mexico, making that arduous journey in which, you know, upwards of 10% of all women are raped or sexually assaulted, in which two-thirds of all of those individuals are assaulted in one way or another, um, that's a humanitarian disaster that needs to be uh, remedied. But right now, nobody really wants to talk about that. All they want to talk about is, well, did he say concrete or did he say metal? Right. That's a big issue. Right. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And, and it's worth noting that the cartels, which are giant, dangerous, evil criminal organizations, are acutely aware of American politics, and they design their unholy business around uh, the opportunity to smuggle people for money. And that we are, a lot of us, through misplaced, I don't know, idealism or open-heartedness, pouring profits into the cartels by allowing them to continue their, their evil business. Our Arthur, resident fellow in law and policy, hey, we've got to have you back on. Gavin Newsom of California was just talking about being proud of being a sanctuary. We've got to talk about that down the road, Art. Oh, I could hardly wait for that conversation. Governor Newsom is one of my favorites. Okay, great. We'll look forward to it. Thanks very much. Good man. Knows what he's talking about. Uh, mandatory E-Verify included in Trump's 2019 budget proposal. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, this has been the problem for so long. Uh, neither party wants to solve this. You could get 20 average Americans bipartisan. They could solve it in a week. Oh, I swear I believe it, that. Yeah, you could have it done by this afternoon. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? I got a preview of Trump's wall brawl speech set for tonight, and California's new governor wasted no time going after the White House. Next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Rahm 
Daniel mentioned over the weekend that as a political strategy, Trump would be better off not getting his wall so that he would have the issue to run on in 2020. I don't think that's the way Trump looks at it, but that is the way the Republican Party has looked at it for years. And, and the and, Democrats. And the Democrats, right. And that's why this never gets solved. You and that's could, why Trump got elected. And that's why Trump got elected, because he's the first person that sounds like he actually, seriously wants to do something about it. When everybody chanted, Mexico, build the wall, it was just enthusiasm for here's somebody who actually gives a crap about illegal immigration. Right. Because everybody else has lied to me for the past 40 years. Right. You could solve the illegal immigration problem today. It is not difficult at all. It is not even... It's one of the least difficult problems we have in America. Mm -hmm. We've gone so far down the road to... You know, a, a, a socialist open border unicorn riding philosophy amongst a certain chunk of the electorate. It could be difficult to get some aspects of it through, but difficult, not not impossible. Barriers where it's needed of whichever kind the Border Patrol recommends and you make E-Verify uh, e- mandatory and you enforce it all across America. It's over. Illegal immigration is over. Remove the magnets. It's, and it's done. You could do that today. Right. But both parties want the issue, and Trump might be the first person to come along who actually wants to solve it, even though, as Rahm Emanuel said, he'd be better off politically if he could campaign on it in 2020. Right. It's just, it's so disgusting. It is the it is the number one example in my lifetime of democracy not working. Mm-hmm. Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Meanwhile, President Trump is going to be speaking to the nation about the situation at the U.S.-Mexican border tonight from the Oval Office. Vice President Mike Pence was on NBC offering up some details. What I expect the president will do tonight is explain to the American people that we have a humanitarian and security crisis at our southern border. 60,000 people are now attempting to come into our country illegally every month. And those numbers creating a real crisis. The vast majority of those people now are families and unaccompanied children, and it simply is overwhelming the ability of our Customs and Border Patrol to address it. And so the president will take those facts to the American people. President Trump going so far as to threaten to declare a national emergency over border security, which would allow him to pay for a wall without congressional approval. So we're expecting that. That uh, Sean mentioned to me, he was watching a little CNN, and CNN is discussing as if that is a given. The president will declare a national emergency, and that's why he can demand the wall. So that'll be the whole conversation after that happens, right? Whether that's yeah. constitutional or legal or not. Right, and the lawyers will shout at each other on cable TV for yeah. several weeks. Yeah. Meanwhile, California's new Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, challenging the Trump administration repeatedly as he was sworn into office Monday, particularly on immigration. When one of Newsom's four young children sleepily wandered on stage during his speech Monday, it helped him underscore his stance against the Trump administration's border policies and the detainment of undocumented children. Newsom holding his two-year-old son while telling the crowd, There's nothing more important. I hope you can tell than giving them a, a good and happy life. But but all kids, not just the children of a governor and a filmmaker, should have a, a good life in California. They should be ripped away from their parents at the border. What are you talking about? Oh my god. And nor should they be left hungry 
nor should they be left hungry when politicians seek to pour billions into a wall that should never be built. Which is making kids hungry? What? So the wall part was pandering because that's the hot issue of the day. But does he actually believe that crap? I mean, are you such a unicorn rider that your kid, who is lucky enough to be born in the United States, has X expectations, and everybody else in the world's kids should have the same expectations? That's ridiculous. Everybody in the world, no matter where you're born, what country, you should have the opportunity, the same opportunity as your kid. That's just unworkable. How are you going to make that happen? Does he believe that? No. No. He's a smart guy. He's a practical guy. Do he enough? knows what he has to say politically. Do it, Are there enough soft heads in California to believe that? Oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. That every kid born Plus anywhere in the world. Plus an extra 20% on the bench. Is Shit. that why he does so much hair, hair gel? Because he's a soft head. He's got to protect it. <laughs> no, he's not the soft head. He knows exactly what he's doing. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, I, it sucks that if you're born in some other country, yeah. you don't have the opportunities that my kids have born in the United States. But come on. Let's Emotional arguments world. work in politics. People say stuff that makes them feel good. Their peers say, you're right. And and they feel great about it. It's completely unworkable. Sooner or later, grown-ups have to go to the table and design policy. And that's where it gets a little more difficult. But yeah, the, the politics of our day are just dumb in a lot of ways. It's a little discouraging if you're a fan of popular governance, self-governance. Another in a string of studies. This is a new British study linking social media to a higher risk of depression among That's teenage, because it is. Among teenage girls. Researchers studied more than 10,000 teens and found girls were twice as likely as boys to show, show signs of depression after using social media. And they blame that finding on the extent of online harassment that goes on. The study showed that 14-year-old girls were the biggest users, typically logging onto social media for more than three hours a day. I can't imagine what it would have been like in high school if I had been completely aware, because I was somewhat aware of what everybody else was doing, but like if I saw all the pictures for all the parties that I wasn't at and all that sort of stuff, I can't imagine what that would have been like. Oh boy, not to mention just the unfiltered viciousness oh, going yeah. back and forth. Oh, yeah. I'm going to tell everyone about how shitty you are. That's uh, terrible. Uh, there's some great information on this uh, in Jonathan Heights and uh, Lukianov's book, the, the Coddling of the American Mind, that we talked to Lukianov about. Um, just uh, specifically, the impact that it has on on women is is or young girls is greater than that on young boys. Kind of just the way that they socialize, it sure. affects them. It's uh, more important. No, there are no differences between men and women, Sean. That's a social construct. I don't know why you're such a member of the patriarchy, why you hate. I'm going to go to a march against you. (laughs) Stealing a line from a comedian. Uh, All the people who claim there's no difference between men and women sure do seem to hate men a lot. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) That's pretty funny. That is strong. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips of the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Yeah, you, you don't hear that crowd saying, I hate men and women equally or... All people. I hate humans who have been conditioned by the patriarchy into identifying as men. Who's with me? (laughs) That's a long chant. Yeah. So would some people argue that if Trump declares it a national emergency, then it's a military budget thing? Yeah, yeah, probably. Do yeah. all the lawyers agree on that, or is I, 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 the people I trust, who I talk to about these things, don't think that strategy is going to work? It's just a dead end. Uh, you know, maybe they're wrong. I don't think it's necessary. 
I think if you can present the case in a, in a solid way to the American people, we will do the right thing. In spite of all the, 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 the you know disingenuousness and stupidity in politics these days. It'll be interesting to see what Chuck and Nancy say in response, yep. because people do want border security. I don't know. You know, at the same time, because I'm a fair-minded guy, there are people uh, in the Trump administration who occasionally throw around loose statistics about who's coming across the border and when and why and the rest of it. And it's, it's it's a mistake to me. It's a strategic mistake because it hands Chuck and Nancy and CNN a, a, a bat to hit you with. Will he repeat some of those statistics tonight? Almost certainly, yeah. I just Again, I think it's a strategic mistake. The situation is serious enough. You don't need to exaggerate it. How to tell if you got a cold or the flu. We all wonder that when we get sick, right? Yep. Got a couple of signs for that. Among other things coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Quickly, and this is the sort of thing you do every year. Do you have a cold or the flu? We always wonder when we get sick, you know. I do not have gonorrhea, by the way. I want to point that out. I had an eye thing the other day, and the eye doctor insisted on checking if I have gonorrhea. How would you get gonorrhea? I don't. I, that's what I tried to tell them repeatedly. But they got to check it off their list. So I said, all right, all right, I'll get the test. I don't. <laughs> I am a happily and faithfully married man. Thank you very much. And my wife. Is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, except she's a woman. <laughs> you may have been pranked. <laughs> Clearly a woman. No, yeah. I don't think it was a prank. <laughs> so is it a cold or the flu or gonorrhea? <laughs> um, if it hits all of a sudden, it's much more likely the flu than if it's a cold. Cold tends to hit, hit, hit more uh, slowly, it claims. Oh, I feel, you feel a little funky. You feel a little weird. I feel like I can like tell when a cold hits, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, but if you get hit all of a sudden, it's likely flu. Fevers, you can get a fever with a cold, but it doesn't happen very often, and it's usually mild. You get a real fever, that's... More likely the flu. Okay. This is the toughest one for me because I, I'm i always exhausted. Oh. <laughs> um, if you just feel wiped out and have no energy, yeah. that's a flu thing, not a cold thing. I feel okay. that way all the time. Wow. So, well, I live my life that way. It's tough to be you. But so, how does it work? You're supposed to exhaust a fever and freeze a cold? What is it? <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. But in short, if it starts abruptly, you have a significant fever and you feel wiped out. It's the flu, not a cold. It says here you shouldn't go to work, even if it's a minor cold. Okay, well, I don't know where you work. We must work for the government or something. Yeah, you the rest go of us work. got an account. If we lose it, we're fired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I, I get that in principle, and it's a lovely idea, sure. but it kind of butts up against reality. Uh, so listen to this, would you? This is from the New York Times of all places. There were two notable and perhaps effective Fake news, dirty politics maneuvers pulled in that special election in Alabama. Now, with all due respect to anybody and whatever you believe, I was no fan of Roy Moore. I I did not consider him a good candidate. I think he, well, anyway, if you remember him with the the young girls thing and the rest of it, I just, I thought he was a strange ranger. But that's not what this story is about. New York Times is a rootinist and a (laughs) tootinist. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what a, I called him Yosemite Roy there for a while. He pulled um, out a gun at a speech once. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and he kind of looked around her and put her away. <laughs> it's funny. Anyway, 
there was a dry Alabama Facebook page that was pushed out to all sorts of people in Alabama. It appeared to be a a move towards statewide prohibition backed by Judge Moore and people who liked him. And that was pushed out to freak out voters thinking, and I don't mind old Roy Moore, but I kind of enjoy a beer on the weekends. I'm not voting for him if he's in charge or in favor of bringing back prohibition. And the New York Times has uncovered the fact that it was Matt Osborne, a veteran progressive activist, who worked on the project. And he and listen to this. This is some great moral slithering. Um, and, and another example of why you shouldn't put your, your faith and your hope and your love and your identity in politics. Don't do it. It's a grubby, disgusting business. And, and the vast majority of politicians you shouldn't even be in the same room with, much less worship. Anyway. So uh, Matt Osborne says, he's the, the progressive activist who worked on it, said he hopes that such deceptive tactics would someday be banned from American politics. But in the meantime, he believes that Republicans are using such trickery and that Democrats cannot unilaterally give it up. If you don't, you're fighting with one hand behind your back. He says you have a moral imperative to do it. Take, do whatever it takes. Now, interestingly, that's the second thing the New York Times has uncovered about that very same race they reported last month on a project um, that used a bogus conservative Facebook page and sent a horde of Russian-looking Twitter accounts to follow Mr. Moore's, Judge Roy Moore's, to make it look that like he had a great deal of Russian support and was a lackey of the Russians. And so, and, and you may recall that um was it Doug Jones was that the guy's name who won um i'm so bad at uh, cuz i don't obsess over this stuff um but the guy who beat Moore barely beat him it was a super close contest and the new york times thinks it's at least reasonably possible that uh, senator jones has that office because certain number of voters were discouraged from voting for uh, for more through these tactics um now, the Republicans didn't want more to win. So, was it them? No, I think they wanted him to win and then probably replace him with somebody else. Oh, right. That was, a, that was an option. Yeah, yeah. They didn't want a Democrat to hold the office. No. Um, the first of the Alabama efforts was funded by Reed Hoffman, the billionaire co-founder of LinkedIn. Keep that in mind. Who apologized and said he was unaware of, and did not approve of underhanded methods. Um, and then the second was uh, local uh, local donations and that sort of thing. But, uh, man, the dirty, dirty tricks in politics. I actually find it somewhat amusing just because I like pranks. <laughs> um, and I realize it's perverse and dishonest and, and changes the outcomes of elections that matter. We're headed. <sighs> and there's no, you can't argue me out of this. There's no way. This is where we're headed. We're headed to where we just don't believe anything. Right, because the technological uh, uh, skills necessary to make something completely convincing are advancing so fast. It's going to be impossible. Oh, wait a minute. That looks a little funky. Nobody's going to say that in the future. Whether it's on-purpose fake news from Russian bots or, or dirty tricksters, or as Jill Abramson, former editor of the New York Times, said, the New York Times now is actively 
fighting against Trump in their news stories. Mm-hmm. So whether it's that stuff or, or or this sort of stuff you're just talking about, nobody's going to believe anything. Yeah. And once we're there, I don't know what happens. Yeah. I don't know what happens. Yeah. I don't know how you win elections. I don't know what your strategy is. Um, I don't know. I don't think it will probably be a better politics. Oh, it's hard to imagine that how that would happen. I think it will probably get worse. Um, but, you know, it depends on the people involved. And uh, nothing is permanent. The Bible says that. This too shall pass. So, you know, who knows? It's hard I, to say I, I, what's, I, what's I, a road we're going down and what's a pendulum that yeah, will swing out and swing down. I, I understand all that. Yes. I, but I just I Good. can't see the way out of this conundrum, though. The Internet and the spread of fake information or false information or slanted information and the ability to make fake videos and just I, I just I don't see a way out of this for democracy. I would concede at the very least there will be a period of real ugliness where people haven't learned how to deal with it. Like my kids got way hipper, way quicker to listen. Haters going to hate. Oh, don't worry about that comment. That's a that's a troll. You know, that sort of thing. I have a feeling we'll figure this out. I think, But there will be an ugly interim period. I think some news organizations, and it would take a long time, will have to emerge that you trust. And they'll have to work hard at keeping people's trust. Certified by something or other or somebody or other. Bipartisan, I don't know what. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Or we won't. We'll be taken over by China. (laughs) Learn to speak Mandarin. (laughs) China. Learn learn to eat Mandarin oranges. (laughs) I like sweet and sour pork, as you know, so... Great, you're ready. There's an upside. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.